Today is an exciting day for me. I don't think we've done this too often, but today I'm getting to minister to you with the absolute love of my life, um, my bride, the second best thing that's ever happened to me. Second, see how, see ladies don't like to be number two, except if the first best thing was Jesus, right? You could be number two to Jesus. Second best thing that ever happened to me. First best thing in the natural that's ever happened to me. Would you welcome my beautiful wife, Lisa, to the stage with me? Hello. Hello. Does she still look beautiful after all this? 51. Look at this. I'm lucky, ain't I? You may be seated in the presence of God. Um, we obviously are going to do a little teaching together on relationship advice. A um, little bit of a Q&A. We got maybe about uh, 20 to 25 questions submitted. Um, we're going to do our best to answer some of those by directly asking the question and answering them, and others by just doing a little teaching on relationships in general. Um, and um, we pray that God ministers to you in a powerful way. You know, most people focus on relationships just on Valentine's Day, right? So everybody have a good Valentine's Day? Have a good Valentine's Day? If, you, if you're married and you didn't have a good Valentine's Day, I feel bad for you. Uh, matter of fact, we made our Valentine's Day two days. We made it the 13th and the 14th. Wasn't that wonderful? And so everybody focuses on Valentine's Day and relationships and then forgets about relationships, and forgets about celebrating uh, your love for one another if you're married or um, just, uh, you know, anything romantic going on in your life and prioritizing that. But I thought it would be good for us to kind of flip the script a little bit and keep the focus on relationships for at least one more week. Because how many of you know if you're not intentional about your relationships, they will not be Good. They won't be better. They won't grow. They'll, they'll grow stale. It's either going forward or backward. And sometimes neutral is not really a good position to be in. And so what we thought we'd do is do a little teaching together on relationships. And so that's what we're going to do today. You want to say anything? Yes, I do. I want to say that wasn't worship great this morning? It was. They're the greatest worship Praise team. Praise the Lord. And I also want to say there's, a, there's more people here than there were at 9 o'clock. <laughs> I'm noticing that. <laughs> Even on vacation week. Yes, yes, yes. It's great to see everybody. And by the way, morning. you know, people love vacation. We're giving away a vacation for our faith, uh, fun, and uh, family month. And we'll call it the great gift away in honor of Jesus, who's the greatest gift. And if you want any proof that people love vacation, just look at church the Sunday before vacation week and the Sunday after vacation week. But anyway, we're glad that you yes. all are here today. And we want to begin um, with kind of a question that maybe it doesn't apply to everybody who's already married, but I think it's the most significant question when it comes to relationships, and that is, how do you choose the right relationships, right? Um, relationships are a choice. You don't just, well, most relationships are a choice, at least romantic ones are. You don't get to choose who your mother, who your father is, you know, that kind of stuff. But other than that, significant relationships are choices. And so many people, can we just admit this, make bad choices when it comes to relationship. Have you ever made a bad choice when it comes to relationships? Not necessarily even romantic ones. I've made bad choices when it comes to, to friends in relationships. And relationships are so important to life because God uses relationships to assist us and the enemy uses relationships to twist us. And so we need to realize that there are dual influences in our lives. 
Our lives are supposed to be interwoven with other people. God has never intended for us to do life alone. Matter of fact, in the scripture, what is one of the first things that God says to himself, it's not good that man should be alone, right? So God built us for relationships, and relationships are supposed to be a blessing in our lives. And if we don't choose wisely, instead of them causing favor in our lives, they cause a lot of failure in our lives. Instead of calling, uh, causing God's prosperity to come into our lives in all areas, they cause a lot of pain in our lives. And so we want to talk to you about how do you choose wisely. And I want to read you this scripture because I think it encapsulates what a good relationship can do for you. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 says, He that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. And so basically if you choose wisely, you get favor. If you don't choose wisely, how many of you know relationships can be one of the most painful things on the planet? And so um, how do you choose wisely? Well, first of all, it kind of goes without saying, but you need to be prayerful. You need to be spirit-led. So many people are led by other things when it comes to relationships, emotions, opportunities, good looks. Obviously, she was motivated by good looks in our relationship. Um, just play. But all these things that are important, by the way, right? You should never be in a romantic relationship with somebody that you don't find attractive. Because um, what will happen is the devil will use that to get your eye on somebody else. And so, but that's not the most important thing. What the most important thing is to be spirit-led, to be prayerful. We have been given one of the greatest gifts that God could ever give us, and that is the Holy Spirit. He is another comforter or an exact duplicate of Jesus. It's like having Jesus living on the inside of us, guiding our lives all of the time. And for us to not check with the Holy Spirit about something as important as relationships is just missing it on our part. And so we have to be spirit-led, and we have to follow the Holy Ghost. That's first and foremost. But then there are other things that I believe we have to look for when choosing relationships. And I want you to answer this, honey, because it's obvious to everybody here, you made an amazing choice when it comes to a romantic relationship. And so tell them how to choose wisely. Well, clearly, I think it's obvious that when we choose uh, somebody to start a relationship with, we're probably needing to consider the fact that that dating relationship could turn into marriage. Um, so therefore, um, you should be choosing somebody who loves Jesus. Can somebody, I interrupt you a minute? Mm-hmm. Um, she just said something profound. You should only date for a mate. Anything else is going to get you into trouble. You know, this whole thing about dating just to have a good time, trouble. That's not why you date. You don't date just to have a good time. You date to find out who you are compatible with and somebody who can lead to a marriage relationship. So go ahead. Yes, yes. So when we're looking for that person, we need to make sure that they have a relationship with Jesus. Because when you date somebody who has a relationship with Jesus, you are on the same page with that person. You'll have the same goal. And clearly that goal is to bring honor to Christ. That goal is to do things God's way. And, uh, you know, attraction, yeah, that's important. Um, you know, it, nobody can tell you who to be attracted to. 
Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if your mom thinks he's handsome or if your best friend thinks she's pretty. That doesn't matter. It's how you feel about that person. And clearly we know that people become more attractive because what's on the inside of them. So the inside attraction, the outward appearance, all of that is something to be considered. However, for today's purposes, you know, we want to look at the scripture in Second Corinthians that says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. God is saying, don't do it. He's not suggesting it as an idea. And why? Because he has our best interest at heart. He knows that the journey of life can be a little bit of a struggle sometimes. And he wants you to partner up with somebody yes. here on earth that's going to stand by your side, yes. be somebody that you can pray with, be somebody to support you. Even in our friendships, we want to be around people who sharpen us. Bible yes. says iron sharpens iron. We don't want to be around people right. who bring us down because when we get brought down, it's a lot of work to get back up again. Yes. So consider that when you make your choice Jesus, Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. You know, when the scripture says not to be unequally yoked, the picture is of, of, of two uh, farm animals, if you will, hooked up to what's called the yoke together. Both of their necks are in it together. And it kind of forces them to move in the same direction. And when you are not equally yoked from a biblical point of view, you're both pulling in opposite directions. And when you're pulling in opposite directions, you can't get to the destiny that God has for you. And so this is sometimes something that we overlook, um, but it's something that's so important when you're dating. Are they a believer? But not just are they a believer, but what does the fruit of their life look like? Because a lot of people can confess Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Um, they might even show up in church, but how many of you know if you stand in a garage, you're not a car? Just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're a believer, right? Um, you got to look at the fruit in their life. And um, we talk about, you know, this a lot, that we live in a don't judge me generation where, you know, you're not allowed to say this is wrong and that is wrong. And that's not what the Bible teaches right. about not judging people. It talks about, you know, not looking down on people. That's really what judging people means. But it, it tells us unequivocally to look at the fruit of people. It says you'll know them by their fruits, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 16. And it, when it comes to relationships, the fruit is probably the most important thing because that tells the whole story. Um, when you look in the Bible at key relationships, a bad relationship with Samson and Delilah, right? That relationship was enemy sent in order to destroy Samson's destiny. I call Delilah the hitman that was sent into Samson's life. Samson was only physically attracted to her. And he let something that God used to, God created to bind people together to blind him. He used sex in an improper way, and sex in an improper way is fornication. It's not sex. Sex is holy. Fornication is the unholy version of sex. And since he had sex out of the confines of a marriage, one man, by the way, let me tell you what marriage is. It's one man, one woman, in a covenant together. That is the biblical definition of marriage. And when you have a rela intimate relationship within that confines, it binds you together. When you have an intimate relationship outside of that uh, uh, covenant, it blinds you. And so what Samson couldn't see is that she was trying to destroy him. And the reason why people make bad choices so much is because they're intimate before they should be. And so because now you've given yourself to somebody, now you see a red flag in their life and you overlook it. 
because you were just intimate and you're bound together with that person. Then you see another red flag and you overlook it. Then you see another red flag and you overlook it. And what happens is we become blinded because we're not doing it God's way in our lives. And so you've got to look at the fruit. Samson was a, Samson and Delilah, bad relationship. Ruth and Boaz, great relationship, right? Why did Boaz choose Ruth? Well, listen to what the scripture says. Boaz answered and said to her, it's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land at your birth and have come to the people whom you did not know before. In other words, he looked at her character, that she was a loyal person, that she had integrity, that she was committed, that she was committed to God because she wanted to follow Naomi's uh, 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 faith because Naomi had a faith with the one true God. And so he looked beyond just the surface to the fruit in her life. And here's the other big takeaway from that. Ruth allowed Naomi, who is her mother-in-law, to speak into her life about relationships. You know why people choose badly? Is because young people, listen up young people. Young people and even some older people, they don't want nobody to tell them what's up when it comes to their relationship. I don't want, no, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. No, 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 no. It is the worst mistake that you could ever make in your life to put the people who love you at arm's distance when it comes to choosing somebody for life. And I'm talking about people who love you, who evidence godly behavior in their life. They can see what you cannot see. Naomi spoke into Ruth's life and said, you know what? Boaz is somebody that's good for you. And do you know it was because they looked at the fruit, because they took godly advice, that that became the lineage of Jesus Christ. If you want godliness to come out of your relationship and your marriage, and you want to see the destiny of God come out of your relationship and your marriage, you got to choose somebody who's saved, you got to look at the fruit, and then you got to let the people who love you and serve the Lord speak into your life. And if you don't do those things, I promise you, you're going to regret it later in life. If you haven't chosen yet, start off on the right foot. Set that foundation so that way your life can produce everything that God has. You want to say anything else? Well, I think one of our questions was, uh, you know, how to identify red flags. Yes. And I think this kind of goes right into that. It with, does. Uh, with making choices. Yeah. Um, two questions were like that. One was, how do I identify... How do I know what I should be looking for? How do I identify red flags? Well, you let people who love you. Not everybody. Not everybody has to weigh in on your relationship. But if you're a young person and you have a godly mom or dad in your life, let them speak into your life. Excuse me. In fact, you probably shouldn't let too many people speak into your life. You know, you have to guard that because if you let everybody that you know speak into your life, you are going to get a lot of different advice and you will become confused. So you need to understand who your circle is and you need to go to those people to be able to speak that into you. Amen. Amen. Another question was, uh, my mother hates my girlfriend, but I think she's cool. What should I do? <laughs> well, can, let me tell you a story. Um, my mother hated the girl that I dated for four years. I dated somebody for four years prior to, to Lisa when I was in, was, it, was in high school. And uh, my mother didn't like her very much. Not, not at, at first she did, but then afterwards she did. And my mother said to me, she said, she can't come in my house anymore. Do you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me. 
That was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. My mother was solid. She loved the Lord. She, 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 uh, I was a godly mother and I was ignoring her advice. So my mother finally said, you know what? Not allowed here. Best thing that ever happened to me. So here's what I would say to this question, whoever asked this question. If your parent doesn't like the person that you are dating, have you asked your parent why? And have you had a mature enough heart to listen to what your parent is saying and let them speak into your life about that situation? And, and if your parent is godly, you really need to pay attention to your parent's advice in the situation. So many people run through red flags. And again, I believe the primary reason why we do is because we are bound together before we should. Because if you're not bound to somebody, it's easy to move on. But when you're bound to somebody, it's very difficult to move on. So those were two of the questions, and I hope we answered those questions. Uh, another question was, how do I get rid of the baggage that is in my life and not bring it into another relationship that I'm going into? And um, one of the fruits that we're looking for, the things that we're looking for, is the different kind of warning lights, right? So you know how a car has warning lights on the dashboard. How many of you know, you don't? if you ignore them for too long, eventually you might have a major problem. So when it comes to relationships, you got to look for all of the warning lights, and the baggage light is one of them. I tell people this, that you shouldn't really go into a relationship if you're carrying a lot of baggage. Because relationships, the best relationships, are when two people bring stuff to the table. And so it doesn't mean that you can't have to stay in a relationship forever. It just means get your act together. It means work on yourself. It means go for the help that you need in a particular situation. How do you stop carrying the baggage in? You deal with the baggage. How do you deal with the baggage? You go go to somebody, a trusted advisor, a pastor, um, a counselor, and you say, here's what I'm struggling with in my life. And you let them help you to work through those things till you get to a place where that is not going to run your mind and your heart and cause chaos in a future relationship. You all know the, the statement, right? Hurt people do what? Hurt people. They hurt people, right? And that's not, relationships are not fix-it projects. And all the ladies said? Amen. Let me say it again. Relationships are not fix-it problems, right? Here's what ladies do, and it's because of the way you're wired. It's not a bad thing, right? It's just the way God has created you to be nurturers, and we're going to talk about that if we get to it in just a little while. And so as a nurturer, what you, what ladies tend to like to do is fix stuff. And so ladies will see somebody who has potential and they'll try to fix that person. Your relationship should not be a fix-it problem. Wait till they get fixed and then relationship with them. Because guess what? Some of them you can't fix. Some of them never get fixed. And so what you wind up having is a broken situation in your home. Now, thank God for the ones that work out, all right? I mean, there are there are stories that break all of the rules, but we're talking about setting yourself up for the best future and the best relationship that you could ever have. you have anything you want to add to that? I loved every word oh, that you right. just said. I thought you might. <laughs> um, so the first one is choose wisely. Second thing we want to talk about is understand each other prayerfully. How many of you know men and women are different? Can I, can I need to see full participation on this. And the reason why I need to see full participation is because we live in a society that's trying to tell us men and women are not different. Amen. Let me ask you again. How many of you know men and women are different? Now, I'm not disparaging anybody. I'm speaking a spiritual truth that is irking our society or plaguing our society right now. Has there ever been a more relevant Bible verse in all of time than the simple one that says, in the beginning, God made them male and female? 
right? And here's what I want you to see. We are different by design. We are different because God created us to be different, but a lot of times we don't understand each other's differences. Matter of fact, I read this little story about this guy who was a biker. He used to love to ride his motorcycle in California, you know, in the sun and the beautiful weather and stuff. One day he's just having a time with God on his motorcycle, trying to, God just speaks to him from the clouds and God says, you know, you've been so faithful to me. If there's one thing I can do for you, just ask and I'll do it for you, right? And by the way, Jesus did kind of ask, the same thing of us, right? He said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Didn't he say that? Didn't he also do the same thing for Solomon? So he appeared to this guy and said, whatever you want, whatever you want. He said, God, you know, he said, I love driving my motorcycle. I would love for you to put a highway right from here to Hawaii so I could just drive my motorcycle all the way to Hawaii. And God said, you know, he said, I, I mean, I could do it. I'm God, but that's complicated. I mean, imagine, you know, the kind of engineering this is going to take and, and all of the things that I would have to displace in order to do this. He said, can you think of anything else? And the guy thought about it. He said, well, you know, God, he said, I'd really like to understand why my, my wife seems to cry for no reason sometimes. And I'd really under, like to understand why when she says one thing, she really means another thing. And God, so my, my request of you is, can you explain women to me? And God says, where do you want that highway? <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't understand one another. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, what? I've got one. <laughs> oh. She got, got one. one. She, don't, she don't usually got, got one. I got one. So when Adam and Eve were in the garden, yeah. and Adam was looking around his beautiful surroundings and looking at his beautiful wife that God gave him, he was a little confused because he was having a little trouble understanding, you know, like the female thing and getting her. So he went to God and he said, God, I have some questions. We need to talk. We need to have a sit down. So God said, of course, of course, I love you. I'm here for you. I want to talk with you. And so God said, uh, Adam asked God, um, why, why is it that you made her so beautiful? She's just so beautiful. Why did you do that? And God was like, well, that's easy. He was like, because I, want, I made her so beautiful so that you would love her. And he was like, oh, okay. And he said, well, I have another question. And he said, this one's a little more challenging, and I don't, I don't mean any disrespect, God. I'm not trying to challenge your wisdom. But the thing is, is she's really dumb. Why did you make her so dumb? And God said, well, that's easy, too. I made her that way so she would love you. <laughs> you know, what I don't but understand... <laughs> you know what I don't understand... When we tell a joke about women, all the men give golf claps. They're like, <laughs> and they're kind of scared, like, I'm not going to laugh too hard about that. Tell a joke about men, the women be like, yeah, that's right. That's what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> anyway, um, the point is that we, we have a difficult time understanding one another because we are created different, and we are different by design. And here's the reason why we're different by design. I want to read your scripture. I just mentioned a portion of it, but listen to the whole thing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And here's the phrase, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. The reason why God created us different is because we each have qualities that when we come together, we're able to exercise this thing called dominion, which literally means to have authority or power in life. 
And the reason why you see so many kids that are struggling with so many things today is because they have not been raised in an authoritative, and not in a bad way, because authority can be bad, but I'm talking in a godly, authoritative type of way where they've seen dominion, where they've seen a husband and a wife coming together and conquering together in life, conquering the difficulties of marriage, conquering the difficulties of raising a family, conquering the difficulties of navigating through tragedies and so on and so forth, conquering the difficulties of protecting your children and and speaking life into your children. And because we don't recognize that we are different by design, we are missing out on what it takes to have a life where we exercise authority here on this earth and see that translate into the lives of the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And so we are different on purpose. We need to stop trying to make men like women and stop trying to make women like men because God made one male, one female so that we can have authority and power. And that's the reason for it. And um, so here's some of the differences between men and women. First of all, men and women think differently. Yes. Give me one story. On how you and I think differently. He said one. Because one, because I know she'll tell me ten. So I, I got to well, try to. This morning I told two. But I think the one, I think the one that um, I got the best reaction out of, because I felt like people got it. You guys, let's see how you feel about this. So, so I really believe with all of my heart that if we're going somewhere and he's ready before me, that it makes so much sense for him to go start the car. Makes no sense. Back it out and wait for me there to kind of no expedite sense. the process. And he really, right? Hmm? Hmm? And, he, and he really thinks that, what's the difference if we, if we walk out together at the same time? We're not saving any time. And I beg to differ. Well, so the reason why she does this, just so y'all know, is because I'm always ready before she is. Okay? Always 100% always of the time. Always is a strong word. Always ready it's a before strong she word. is. And, and then, because I say we need to leave at 9 o'clock. She thinks that means 9.15. She thinks that means 9.20. She thinks that means 9.30. So what happens is when I'm ready, I'll go in and check on her. And I'll be like, okay, you ready yet? Yeah, almost, almost five minutes. And she thinks five minutes means 20 minutes. So so what I do is I stay there and I keep checking on her. So she's developed this little plan. And this little plan is if she gets me to go out and wait in the car, I won't annoy her the whole time. She thinks she's slick. But it does save time. It does. It, no, it doesn't. It does. Save time. It does save time. Anyway, um, here's some of the things that happen. We think differently, and, and there's real reason why we think differently. Number one, um, there are scientific reasons. Did you know that scientists have researched that the brain, and they've discovered that men, listen to me, men, you're going to love this, have 4% more brain cells than women and 100 grams more brain tissue than women. And so scientists have proven men have bigger brains than women. Ooh, 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 ooh. Wait a second, wait a second. Let me, let me tell you the next thing that scientists have decided. <laughs> okay, why don't you? <laughs> they have also discovered that women have, and a big word, more dendritic connection between brain cells. You don't even know what that means. Yeah, you're all <laughs> what it means is that they use their brain cells more efficiently and effectively and that, wait, wait, I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. That's okay. We can start now. I'm not done yet. And that women have a larger 
corpus callosum. What is that? It allows for a faster transfer of data between the right and left hemispheres of the brains. And so that means that a woman's brain works better than a man's brain. And all the ladies said, I wish, I wish that wasn't true, but it gets worse, man. Gets worse. Gets worse. Did you know that during the 18th and 26th month, in pregnancy, a male baby's testosterone kicks in. And it, this results in the nerve fibers of the brain connecting the right and left hemispheres to start to disintegrate, making it very challenging for the two sides to talk to one another. And so what scientists have proven is that a man's testosterone gets in the way of his thinking. <laughs> Come on, somebody, you know this too. <laughs> Right now, listen, this is bigger than what it sounds like, right? This is bigger than what it sounds like. A man's testosterone gets in the way of his thinking in a lot of situations. So if there's pressure or there is a a problem that has to be dealt with, a man who has not, I'll call this grown in their relationship with the Lord, that testosterone kicks in, they become irritated quicker. They become angry quicker. They, they, they raise their voice more, right? They, they do all these things that women feel are unappealing, right? And it's because of this that's happening with a man. And so the way that we overcome that, fellas, is we have to grow in our relationship with the Lord and the fruits of the Spirit, one of which is self-control, because we have to realize that manning up in those settings where we, you know, muscle, I should say muscling up in those settings and getting aggressive and loud and all those kind of things is not helpful to a marriage relationship or for that many matter, any type of relationship. And so this is, these are some of the reasons why we think differently than one another. And here's some specific uh, areas that we think differently. So men are problem solvers, right? Problem solvers. So, um, We see a situation and we're like, oh, that's easy. Just do this, right? Now, women, it's not that women are not good problem solvers, but women like to talk out the way we're going to solve the problem, right? Men men don't need all them details. Men just want to just cut the chase and let's just do this. But a woman, she wants to, she wants to talk it through and, and the whole story and so on. We've got an organized plan. You got an organized plan? Yes, we do. That's why we have to say so many words to talk it through. It's an organized plan. Okay, go ahead. Well, the organized plan goes something like this, right? So so a man will just say, you know, let's fix it here. Or uh, a man will be asked the question, how was your day today? And because men are just kind of short and succinct, a man will say, good. Or not so good. Or a man will go, mm. You know, we, we talk with, we talk with mm's also or, or noises, right? You ask a woman how her day has gone. She'll be like, well, today, you know, I woke up and I was having my coffee and I was looking out the window and I saw a squirrel run by and the squirrel jumped on the white fence. And by the way, did you know that white fence needs to be painted? I was, when are we going to paint that white fence? And while we're at doing the house projects, do you think we might be able to touch up the living room a little bit? And the living room, by the way, do you know, I think we ought to spend more time as a family hanging out in the living room because we are really starting to drift apart from one another. And, and a, a woman, when she tells a story, it's, it's, it's all over the place, right? And, and it, it's not really, it's kind of all connected. But when a man tells, answers a question, it's very succinct. And this is because men think in boxes, 
and women think like spaghetti. <laughs> this is a fact. This is, this is scientific. We're just making it simple, right? So men have these boxes. Their brain is like boxes, and everything has a compartment, right? You got the job compartment. You got the, the family compartment, the wife compartment, the kids compartment, the, the, the recreation compartment, the mother-in-law compartment, and that's sealed shut and put somewhere in the back corner somewhere. Anyway, right? You have all these compartments, right? And, and, and a man, they, they think in compartments. Women, they think like spaghetti. It, if you ever try to follow spaghetti around a plate, it just touches everything. But it all connects at the end of the day. And this is not, not that men are right, right and women are wrong. It's the way God made us. And when you look at the design of a woman and the design of a man, and I know I might step on toes here, but do you know that a woman is designed for motherhood and a father is designed for fatherhood? Because when you're dealing with a child, you need to be empathetic. Right? And you need to be nurturing and you need to find out the why. And you can't just take a nothing is bothering me approach when you're dealing with a child, right? A child needs that mother's love and needs that mother's nurture, but it also needs that father's strength, right? It also needs that decisiveness. And so, um, God has designed men for fatherhood. He's designed women for motherhood. It's part of God's design. But here's the thing about men and their boxes. We have a box that the ladies wish we never had. It's called the nothing box. Do you know what is in the nothing box? Nothing. nothing. And so a man will be chilling. <laughs> Almost catatonic. <laughs> and a woman will see a man catatonic on the couch. And she'll say, what you thinking about? <laughs> and the man will say, Nothing. <laughs> And the woman will turn to the man and go, you have to be thinking about something. Nobody could just be sitting there <laughs> thinking about nothing. Right? And the man will turn around and say, no, really nothing. And she'll say, well, the only reason why you're saying nothing is because you don't want to talk to me. You never let me in. <laughs> and I'll say, no, that's not true. I'm really thinking about nothing. She said, no, you're not. And she'll storm off all angry and upset. And, and she'll be thinking, what a jerk. And he'll be thinking, God, can you please explain women to me? Right? <laughs> this is what happens because we're created Differently, we think differently, we process things differently. And again, the reason why it's important for us to understand this is because if we don't have understanding, the scripture says, dwell with each other according to knowledge, right? We have to understand how we're made so that we can relate to one another. You know why there's so much um, of this in the world? Other than the, the sin versus the righteousness, which is going to create this, right? A lot of the this that is not sin and righteousness comes from a lack of willingness to understand. Well, well, I, I hear that, but can you explain why you're feeling that way to me? Somebody asked the question, honey, what is a proper way to uh, express their emotions? Can you answer that? Because you do such a good job at this. <laughs> well, practice the pause, right? Don't answer immediately. You know, count to two, count to five, count to 50, whatever you need to do. And uh, this way you can have a moment to think it through. You can, you know, God, God hardwired us with like, you know, intellect and intelligence. You know, he doesn't expect us every moment to be like, well, hold on, got to pray that one through. You know what I mean? And obviously there's a place for praying things through. And it's there. we should always be inviting God into our circumstances. But we are hardwired to be able to react, to be able to think on our own. And as we exercise that muscle, if you will, we're able to practice the pause. We're able to respond accordingly. Um, in my Bible study on 
Friday mornings, first and third Friday, 10 a.m. You're all welcome to attend if you're a lady. My Bible study on Friday mornings, we often talk about the fact that it's important to respond, not to react yeah, to certain that's good. situations. That's really good. Um, and, and we know as, as fellows, we, we react too quickly. That pause is really good for us, um, you know, so that way we can keep, give that testosterone a chance to die down for just a moment so that we can really think intelligently. So we have all these differences, and understanding them helps us to, to respond better. Uh, another great way to respond is to not use big sweeping generalizations. So something happens is you always, you never. That automatically sets the person off on the defensive, right? What's better to say is, you know, that made me feel like this, and, you know, here's how I'd like us to try to handle that. Or communicate your feelings instead of broad sweeping generalizations that make the other person feel attacked. Part of effective communication, right, is trying to disarm the other person. If you want somebody to hear you, you have to disarm them. You have to go low when somebody else goes high. The problem in marriage, right, is the problem is when two people try to meet at the same level, it's like rams, bucking heads. Okay. Right? So somebody has to be the adult in the room. Somebody has to be the Christian in the room. Somebody has to say, okay, I'm going to dial this back. I'm going to pause for a moment, practice the pause in my life. And then I'm going to, you know, ask God to, to help me to express this in a way that is not going to attack the other person. You know, she's big with words. I'm not big with words, even though I know the Bible says words matter. Words matter a whole lot more to her. We'll talk about this next week, by the way, than they do to me. So I'm like, I can say stuff or people can say stuff to me. It doesn't bother me. Right? But, I've learned with her that words matter a lot. So for me to react and not think about what I'm going to say could damage my marriage. And because I love my wife so much, I've had to learn to get to the place where I practice that pause so that I don't say the first thing that comes to my mind it sounds insensitive, but so that I can articulate in such a way that it can be received. You want to say something? And I, I think also, you know... I think also it's important for us to remember that we don't... We don't have to dig in to be right. You know, we're talking a lot about how men and women are hardwired differently, and it's important to understand that, but it's also important to respect that. And so as we learn about the differences and as we learn what makes our spouse tick, so to speak, don't dig in to just get your point across and be right. Like back off a little bit, respect them where they're coming from, understand their motivation behind things sometimes. And just, you know, there's even a place to agree to disagree. And many times, you know, taking that, uh, that back seat, um, uh, ends up being a little bit more of a healing process that takes place rather than trying to insert all of your feelings and opinions. Yeah, next week we're going to talk a lot about how to resolve relational conflict, and that's one of the keys that she just gave you right there. Not having to be right is a huge thing. We'll table that a little bit for next week. Let me give you a couple other things. I was giving things. them a little commercial. Thank you. You You're did welcome. a good job. Very well done. Welcome. Do you all want to come back and hear that next week now? <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, Here's some of the things that create communication differences in men and women. Men like to think things out in their head um, before they talk things out. Women like to talk things out in order to think things out, right? And so this creates, this creates a problem because um, a woman wants to resolve the problem by having a conversation, but a man is resolving the problem in his head to get ready to talk things out. And so there's got to be give and take here because if both people want their way, a man's going to feel like, well, she won't shut up about this and give me an opportunity. And, and, and she'll feel like, well, he's so insensitive that he never talks to me about anything. 
And so you have to understand those differences and then come to some type of medium that allows. Sometimes you have to allow him to think things out. Guys, sometimes you have to say, okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to push through here and I'm going to talk things out. There has to be some give and take. A man's, a man, uh, communication is generally, uh, confined to his words. A woman's communication is both not verbal and nonverbal, right? And speaking of words, you know, women speak 21,000 words on average in a day, men seven. So a man gets home from work, he's done with his seven. She's got 14,000 more to go. It's going to be a long night, right? So, so what, I, what, I, what I've done in my life, and, and, and it's a pleasure now, um, but what I've done in my life is just determine that you know, I have to set my mind that I, I'm not going to shut down when I get home because I'm done. Because my wife receives that as me not caring about her when in reality I'm just zonked, exhausted, spent from the day, and my mind needs to shut down. So I, I'm, a lot of times I'm prayerful on my way home. You know, God, I have a busy day today, and, you know, my, my, my family, you know, needs me, my wife needs me, give me the ability to, and I'm not real great at it, but it's an area I know I got to keep on, keep on working on. So we need to realize that. But also, because of the way we speak, we use our words, women use everything, right? Nonverbal and verbal. So a man could watch his, his wife have a conversation with another woman. And uh, they'll meet, they'll see each other. Oh, you look so nice today. Isn't that dress beautiful on you? I love the color of your hair. Oh, thank you so much. I just got it done at the salon the other day. And the woman walks away. And then the, the wife turns to the man and goes, she, 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 thought, I, she thought I looked so ugly. And he'll say, no, no, she didn't think he She actually said, no, did you see the way she looked at me when she said that? She was just saying that <laughs> because she thought that I looked fat in this particular dress. And Amanda's like, what are you talking about? I just heard. But she picked up all of these verbal cues along the way. And so we have to understand in our communication these differences. So guys, maybe you're agreeing with your words, but your face is saying you don't want to hear it anymore. Do you know that that is a conflict of communication with your wife? Because you think, well, I'm saying the right thing, but you're communicating the wrong thing, right? Or your, your hand actions or the fact that you're not looking at her when you're having a conversation with her. All of those things affect the way communication takes place and it can cause communication to begin to break down. And so those are some of the, the things and that create differences and so on and so forth. So we want to give you a couple of keys and then we'll answer a couple of questions and we'll let you go. So how would you, what would be like your top maybe two or three ways for the ladies to communicate in a way to their to husbands to help them to have better communication? Well, I guess we talk about it sometimes, uh, you know, that we, as women, we need to say what we mean. You know, our husbands are not mind readers, and sometimes... <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta clap. Sometimes, uh, you know, maybe your motivation is just to be in deference to your husband and submissive, and, you know, you want to be able to, uh, you know, uh, be be gentle with your approach, which is great, but... The Bible does not say that you cannot communicate your thoughts and feelings. We're meant to do that. We don't have to play games and make him have to guess because that's only going to frustrate you and frustrate him. You know, you, you said you hit on something that was asked. What does it mean for a wife to submit to their husband? You know, um, it's one of those, I know Pastor Ronald talked about it a little bit uh, last week when he ministered. And in that, in the context of that chapter, the very first portion of it says, submitting yourselves one to, no, one to another in the fear of God. 
So first of all, submission begins with a mutual submission to the Lord, right? Um, you're not ever ready to lead anybody unless you are submitted to the Lord because then your actions are going to be governed in such a way that you make it easier for somebody to defer to your leadership in a particular area. And by the way, when it comes to submission, it's not about rank. It's about, it's, it, it's, it's, it's about role. Okay, doesn't mean when somebody submits to another person that they are less important than that other person, because that's what we use submission to mean. It's just about roles that God has defined in marriage, right? Because of the way God has hardwired men, men need respect, right? So a lot of times, all that submission means is being respectful. You know, it doesn't mean not expressing a disagreement. And sometimes, fellas, let's admit it, we're wrong, they're right, right? And we don't, we, we, we don't want to receive what is being said, but a lot of times we can't receive it because, because it's, you're stepping up. You know what I mean by stepping up? If, if another man comes into my space and steps to me, it's on. So what, what I'm simply meaning is that there is a way to respect your spouse, to respect his manhood, don't challenge him, don't yell at him like he's a child or like he's a little boy, and then he'll be able to hear what you're having to say. So, and by the same token, don't muscle up, you know, don't use all of your testosterone in order to win a conversation and lord who you are or your authority over your spouse. And so really it just means to respect, to, 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 to view it. And, you know, there are times when we disagree and we'll talk about that. We, we get back to it. We pray about it. We'll have another conversation about it. If it's not a sin situation, at the end of the day, she'll honor me and she'll say, okay, you know, God has called you to be the spiritual leader of our home, so I'm going to defer to what you say on this situation, but not when it's sin, right? Not when it's wrong. How many of you know that when something is clearly stated in the Bible, you submit to the Lord and nobody else? Can I get a good amen? amen. And everybody. Amen. Right? And so somebody asked that. So say what you mean. What, what else you got? Um, not to overanalyze. I mean, how many overthinkers do we have here? I know I'm an overthinker. And uh, if, we, if we spend too much time analyzing our husbands and not taking him at his word, um, we can get ourselves a little bit messed up. You know, uh, if we see that he's in his whatever that nothing box was or something <laughs> like that, now we know about the nothing box. We can all, we can all march forward knowing that. <laughs> um, but if he's in that nothing box rather than overthinking it and allowing yourself to worry about nonsense. You know, there's, there's statistics out there that say that, I don't know what the percentage is, but, you know, a majority of the things that we worry about, like, you know, aren't even real things. They never, never happen. You know, they never come to pass. And so we don't want to be the overthinker that worries about things because we're just going to be brought down. Amen. Um, all good stuff. I want to ask, uh, answer a couple of more questions, and then we'll let you go within the next five minutes, I promise you. So um, this is a pretty big question, and, and uh, uh, it's important enough to answer because there's a lot of people who are in these kinds of situations. So someone wrote in and said, how do, how do I handle an abusive partner trying to come back into my life and make things better where kids are involved? Um, so the first question is this. How are we defining abuse? And the reason why I say this is because We've now lived in a, we now live in a generation where the word abuse is put on everything. And the reason why it's put on everything is to make an easy way out of a relationship. Okay? Now, um, abuse is not when you disagree about stuff that's not abuse. Right? Abuse is not when you've drifted apart from one another and your marriage needs a spark back again or not giving somebody attention. Those are not, those are not abuse situations. Some, some of those situations are the result of 
bad relational practices that have happened in your marriage that have got to a point where now you're kind of living as roommates instead of as husband and wife, right? And so first thing I would caution anybody is let's not put everything in the category of abuse. However, having said that, there are real abuse issues, right? Right. Um, And here's my advice on it. And a lot of pastors wouldn't tell you this. If you are sincerely being abused, you're being beaten, you're being sexually abused in any way, leave. Okay? Now, easier said than done. Easier said than done because oftentimes when you are the victim of abuse, you are under some type of fear, right? Some type of emotional abuse has gone along with that where you feel like you can't. And if you do something bad, is going to happen to you or happen to your loved ones or that kind of stuff. And so what you really need to try to do at that point is work up the courage to involve somebody else, right? Because right? you need help in that situation. Um, I, I like to say this, you know, probably because I'm a dad, but if you're a woman and you're being abused and you have a godly father in your life, tell your dad and tell your dad, I need help in this situation, right? If you don't have a godly father in your life, tell, tell a trusted friend and give them permission. And this is what happens a lot of times when it comes to abuse is they'll, they'll confess to somebody, but then they say, but I don't want you to do anything, right? right. And, and I understand that. And, and you've got to tread carefully on these lines because there are things that can, when a person is in an abusive situation, that can, can be triggers and they could, there could be genuine harm that is being, could be done in that situation. But uh, to answer the question, what do you do? Well, first of all, if some, if you have kids with that person, obviously there's a, there's a bond that's there that you're going to have to deal with that person for a long time. I say, first of all, remove yourself from the situation. If you're already removed from the situation, then you need to be prayerful. And the prayers need to begin, begin like this. You know, God, what type of relationship, if any, do you want me to have with this person going forward? And I think relationship is conditional. Forgiveness is not. Right. Do you hear what I just said? Relationship is conditional. Forgiveness is not. When somebody does something to us, we are commanded to forgive them freely, right? Without, without really any conditions because it'll kill us more than it hurts them. But in order for somebody to be in relationship with you, there's parameters, there's give and take, there's something that needs to be brought to the table by everybody else. An abusive relationship for me is a relationship that's always one-sided. And I don't mean that in the biggest sense of the word abuse, right? But but if you're always in a relationship where nobody's ever contributing anything, so there's got to be rules, right, in, in this, especially where there's been abuse. Has this person shown a pattern of changing their behavior? Have they gotten help, Right? And if the answer to all of those things is no, then the answer for you is I'm not going back into that situation and I'm not putting my kids back in that situation again. And at that point, you just need to do what you need to do. And if that means removing you and removing the kids from that environment, that is my advice in the situation. A lot of pastors wouldn't tell you that, okay? Because they believe that the only reason to dissolve a marriage, and by the way, I'm not for divorce in any way, shape, or form, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, right? Marriage is a covenant. However, and they'll say, well, the scripture says only in the case of fornication. No, it says only in the case of adultery, not fornication. Well, what is the difference between fornication and adultery? Fornication is sexual misconduct outside of your marriage, right? Adultery is a breaking of covenant. Why do I make the distinction? You remember what the book of James says? It says, if you love the world more than you love God, God says you're an adulterer and an adulteress. And so there are certain cases where covenant is broken, Adultery is committed without sex being involved. I believe that beating somebody is one of those cases, right? And so you have to be really careful. We don't fall back on divorce, 
But at the same time, there are certain, certain circumstances where it would be better for you to remove yourself from the situation than be prayerful from that point forward about if and when there should be any type of further relationship or reconciliation. So that's my answer to that question. Let me end on one high note and not end with a Debbie Downer. Um, and the high note is this. What's the best advice you'd give to newlyweds? Best advice to newlyweds, be patient with yourself. Um, enjoy the journey because who you are today is not necessarily who you're going to be tomorrow. And I think sometimes uh, newlyweds put themselves in a, in a, a stand, they, they make a standard for themselves that's a little bit unrealistic. You know, they want to behave as if they're like this seasoned couple that's, uh, you know, been together all these years and just get one another. Um, meanwhile, they married the love of their life, hopefully, right? And they're still learning one another. And you need to take time to learn that other person. I feel as though confidence is great, but humility even better. Yeah. Make yourself humble to maybe a seasoned uh, godly couple that you have in your life, whether it be a family member, a friend in church, something like that, that can help and guide you, speak into your life. But see, if you're not humble, you won't learn. So humility does matter. Amen. Um, next week, we're going to talk about a few more subjects. One of the big subjects we're going to talk about next week is, is intimacy in a marriage. Um, a lot of people think that intimacy in marriage is not important. That's not high on the list, but let me just kind of give a teaser for next week. If you're not actively intimate in your marriage, there's a problem in your marriage. That needs to be resolved, okay? And we're going to talk to you about how to resolve those issues next week. Come on, would you stand to your feet with us? Did anybody get anything out of this today? I hope that it ministered to you. I hope that it helped you. What we want to do is, is we, want to pray. we want to pray for you right now. If you're here with your marriage partner, with your husband, with your wife, um, please go ahead and, and grab their hand right now. We're going to pray. For all of you singles, this prayer will be for you as well. And for all you people who don't really care to be in any type of romantic relationship, uh, I hope you got some gems out of this that can help you in non-romantic relationships because relationship advice works across all um, different spectrums. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today and we know that you are Lord of all and that um, the marriage relationship is a earthly picture of what our relationship with you is like. That, Father, you call us your bride. That, Jesus, you laid down your life for the church. And, Father, I pray that our marriage relationships would help to reflect um, the love of Christ and the relationship we have with you, not just um, to others, but also to our children to the generations that are watching us. Father, I pray for healing to take place in marriage relationships. Right now, as we come before you, we pray for those relationships that have experienced drift. Father, that there's humble hearts right now, that there's willing hearts, that there's open hearts that allow for the Holy Spirit to come in and begin to bind those hearts back together, begin to break those hurts down, Lord, and begin to heal those hurts. Father, Lord, I pray for marriages that are already good, Father, that you would cause them to stay healthy and strong. And Father, that you'd um, even put it on the hearts of people to be mentors to other couples that, that Lord, need help. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to just, just move over this place right now and touch every marriage that is represented here. Father, for every young person, every single person that is here that, that is looking, Father, we pray your protection. 
We pray your guidance over their lives. Father, we pray that you lead and guide them, that their hearts would be open and their eyes would be open to any uh, things that they should be seeing so that they don't make a mistake, Lord, in any way. And Father, we pray for every other person here that are involved in any other type of relationship that matters, that you would lead and guide and that we would submit to the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We enjoyed being with you today. Go get your kids quick. The the kids workers will appreciate it. God bless you.